Good morning. My name's Adam, one of the pastors here at the church. I just want to say you picked a good morning to be here. I believe uh, actually every Sunday is a good morning to be here. But this morning we launched into a brand new series. We're going to open, I just kind of saw the bumper for that. We're going to talk about God's will and kind of the decisions that we make in life and where they get us uh, and, and are we on the right path with them. Before I do that, I want to mention, I uh, just give a big, big thank you uh, to, to, if you call Bethany home, this is to you. Uh, last week, I had uh, family members here in the audience, uh, family members that uh, didn't really come up and hang out with me, so you probably wouldn't have even known that they were my family members. Uh, some of you kind of put it together as you introduced yourselves to them. These family members, it was really the first time one of them was here and came up to me after the, after the service was all done. And uh, she comes up and says, uh, she's someone has been involved with church ministry, actually on paid staff in a church. And she comes up and says, you have a special church here. And I began to listen to her and she gave me some of the reasons why. But the one thing that she shared that I hear this time and time again, she says, you know what? I counted the number of times I was greeted before the service and things even took, uh, took off. And she said six times. Now you say six times, what's the big deal? That is a huge deal. That means the world to people. Uh, when, you, when people walk through those doors and they find someone smiling at them, it's willing to extend a hand and say, hi, I'm not sure we've ever met before. Um, who are you? And then just talk and welcome and let them know that they're people. People matter. Uh, so again, thank you so much um, that those of you do this week in and week out. I appreciate it tremendously. It is making a huge uh, difference and it really shapes who we are as a church. So thank you. Well, that said, the other thing I want to mention before we jump in, I say this every week, and some of you here we can say, why does he talk about this every week? I talk about this because this is a really big deal with Bethany. Uh, we encourage you, what we do here in stage is important. Uh, this is very important. We don't lighten what we do. We think it's important to preach the word of God and, and proclaim his message. But man, what's also so important is for you to connect with God on your own throughout the week. As we put together a reading plan, something we're very passionate about, I encourage you to be reading the Bible for yourself, gave you some help with that. There's a journal out there, or just if you're not a journal, there's a straight plan, uh, but if you do have that journal, we're on page 86 today, and then the reading plan will be through, uh, following that throughout the week. So I encourage you to grab that. Now, with that stuff said, here's where we're going for this next uh, four weeks as we close the series down, or kind of close the summer down, I mean. Um, one of the things that I believe with all my heart, that this is true of, I'm going to guess 100% of us in this room. Uh, maybe some of you that are little, maybe, nah, this may not be true of you, but I'm going to guess 100% of you this is true you walked in here this morning. You said, you know what, Adam? I want a successful life. Fact, I've met, I don't think I've ever met a person that's gotten out of bed in the morning and said to me, Adam, do you know what? I hope today I'm the biggest failure this world or my family has ever seen. I don't know anyone's ever, have you met anyone that said that to you? I mean, maybe, maybe some of you have a few uh, outliers out there that say, yeah, that's how that's, they live for that purpose. But I think most of you that walk in here this morning, seeing what I want a successful life. Now, what success is for you may be very different than the person sitting in front of you, behind you, or beside you. We all define it different, but most of us are saying what drives our decisions and the things that we choose to do or not do, watch and not watch, take in and not take in, what drives much of that is because we have a, we want to be successful, we want to enjoy life, and I'm going to go after it, and I'm going to make that happen. Now, successful life, what I have learned about a successful life, it is not made up of a few really big decisions. It's not made up of coming to the mountaintop and man, I'm in the mountaintop and I made, in fact, what I've learned, successful lives come from hundreds upon hundreds of good, small decisions. Matter of fact, what I would learn to say it this way, the decisions you make today will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. Many of you know this. 
Many of you know this. Now, as you think about life and all the decisions that there are, there, there's actually a, a term, decision fatigue. Have any of you ever heard that term? It's a, it's a psychologist study this, and, and it's very common today, actually, as I, as I read this week again and looked at it. Uh, and, and people, there's so many decisions in life, so many things that we have to decide upon it. People actually get this thing called decision fatigue. That's why you get some really high executive, high-functioning leaders, as I was reading this week, that actually to eliminate decision fatigue, they, they eliminate as many small decisions in their lives as they can. So, for example, they eliminate the decision of what to wear. Albert Einstein did this. President Obama currently does this. President Obama currently has two outfits, a formal and a casual outfit, and that's all that he wears. Wears the same thing day in and day out. You know why they do that? It's because when I walk to my closet, I'm not going to take the next 15, 20 minutes trying to decide what to wear because I've got far more important things to decide today. So it's eliminate as many small decisions as we can because I want to give my energies to the big ones. So our lives are made up with decisions, small decisions. Think about how you got here today. Think about how many small decisions you made that ultimately landed you in the seat where you're sitting. What time to go to bed last night? Do I set my alarm clock? Do I get up when my alarm clock goes off? Do I eat my fruity pebbles when my alarm clock goes off? Do I take a shower? <laughs> do I not take a shower? And for those who didn't take a shower, I'd say, man, probably the people next year wishing you had made that decision. But I mean, when I get home, uh, do I eat the leftovers in the refrigerator? And I'll answer that for you. The answer is no. Leftovers are not to be trusted. If it's been in there more than a day, throw it away is kind of my motto. Some of you chuckle. It's just one of those decisions that will get you through in life. It will carry you a long way in life. (laughs) Then you got the big decisions, uh, the really big decisions. Like, do I stay sexually pure? Do I use drugs, alcohol? Um, What do I do with school? Do I graduate? Do I not graduate? After I graduate, if I choose to graduate, what do I want to do for a career? Maybe I go to the military. Do I not go to the military? Do I go to college? Where do I go to college? What, what do I want to do with my life? Who do I marry? It's one of the biggest life-altering decisions we can make on this physical earth. Who do I marry? Do we have kids? Do we not have kids? Where do we live? What church do I go to? Our lives are full of decisions, and the decisions that you make today will determine the life you live tomorrow, the stories that you tell. Do I become a success or not? So the question that this series is going to ask is, okay, the decisions that I'm making, are they good decisions? Are they decisions that are right or wrong? How do I know whether I'm really following the, the, the path that God has called me to? Am I making the right decisions? This series is also going to some of you may be sitting here and you say, you know what, Adam? Yeah, I've heard people say, yeah, God told me to. And then they fill in the blank, be a missionary, be a pastor, work in construction, be a nurse, be a doctor. God's told me to. And others of you say, well, what does that mean? I've never heard God say a word to me. Does he talk to people? Others of you say, well, Adam, you know, I've heard people say, well, the Bible, the Bible, that's what sets our course for life. And that's where we make our decisions. Others of you say, well, I want to get married. How do I, what verse is that? I mean, how do I, how do I find a wife or a husband? How does that work? How does the Bible really guide my decisions in life? Others of you say, well, does God really care with some of the smaller decisions? Does he care what I have for breakfast or what time I go to bed? So we're going to wrestle through all this and ask this question, how do I hear God and how do I make sure that the decisions that I'm making are the right decisions that he has laid out for my life? It's an important question. I think it'll, and I think most of you know this. Now, there's one foundational truth that I'm going to do my best to help us feel and know this morning. 
And this foundational truth will carry all four weeks of this series. In my opinion, if we don't grasp this one foundational truth, this series uh, will just kind of go up and, oh, that was nice to hear, but this one truth is so good. Here it is. God is good. You have to know that. In fact, the way I've said it, if you've been around me any length of time, this is how I say the theological truth that God is good. God is for you. You have to know this to the very core of your being. God is a good God. God has made you to connect with him. God says, I love you. I'm for you. I've created you with a purpose and a plan, a unique purpose and plan, and I am for you. If we don't grasp that, trying to determine what his will is for my life really doesn't take much shape or meaning. God is for you. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. I would like to lay out for you, if, if you allow me, kind of want to take a big brushstroke of scripture to help us see and understand this truth. I'm just going to kind of step back and take a big 20,000 foot view of all of scripture to help us see this one truth, if you allow me to do that. I want to start with this verse, the very beginning of the Bible. We have Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and, and this is in the context of this creator God making all of the heavens and the earth, the moon and the stars, and, and all that we look out and see the galaxies and the universe around us. And then he begins to step in and he makes our oceans and our lands and our mountains, and he makes birds and fish and animals. And then he winds down this incredible creative act with people. And he makes man and then he creates woman, Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. And as he creates them, this is what the truth that he gives. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Powerful. This is honestly one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It speaks the truth of every one of us in this room. And it says, you are unique from your dog at home or your guinea pig or your goldfish. You're unique from the trees in your backyard, the rocks laying out in your landscaping. You are unique in that you are created in the image of God. Now, what that means is the very next verse, verse 28 says, so he's created you to rule and to reign. Every human being is created with autonomy stamped in their heart, the ability to step out and make decisions and to lead life, to take authority over their lives because God says, listen, I am not going to be physically present on this earth, but I'm going to create you to think like me, feel like me, process like me so that you can make decisions for me on this earth. It's an amazing thing. And more than that, it means this. It means that we are creating his image. So in his likeness, so we can think thoughts that he thinks, feel things that he feels, process as he processes, not totally, not completely, but we can connect and relate to him in a powerful way something that's true of us. It's not true of any other part of creation. It's an incredible truth. We are created to find life in him. Now, many of you know the story, right? You flip the, the, the Bible, two chapters, chapter three, and you find this Adam and Eve, that they, they have this to be true of them. They walk in this thing called the Garden of Eden, hand in hand with their creator. They walk and they know him in a way that is so powerful. It says they were naked and felt no shame. A beautiful picture of God's created world. But you know how the story goes. Many of you do. We look around and we see a mess today, a mess that they created, a mess that still happens. Adam and Eve chose to step outside of God's created image, and he chose to, they chose to find life in something outside of him, and it brought death and destruction. So God steps in and he says to him, hey, guys, it's going to be a mess. You know what? Your roles of wife and husband are going to be hard. There's going to be marital tension. 
You know what, Eve? You're going to desire the role of your husband. You're going to want to lead him. You're going to be frustrated at what he provides to you. And then he's going to get frustrated at you trying to rise up over him. So he's going to crush you. He's just going to put you in your place. And you know what, Adam? (laughs) Adam, he says to Adam, he says, listen, your role of provision, oh man, it's going to be hard. It's going to be toil and pain. And having babies, well, boy, that's, you've been in the delivery room, some of you guys, you know what that's like. Now, in the midst of that, he also speaks to the serpent who tempted them. Here's what I want you to see this morning. God, remember, God is for you. In the midst of darkness, as it seems like the curtain is setting on humanity, it's all over, death and destruction have entered the race. In the midst of all that, Genesis chapter 3, incredible hope is spoken. Remember, Adam and Eve just sinned. They've absolutely just wrenched their relationship with God. God then speaks to the serpent and says this, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So they say, what's this all about? (laughs) Now, some theologians look at this and they say, this is the very first gospel message in the Bible. I mean, the very first good news. Some people look at this and see Jesus. Now, we can get into that. I think possibly this is, I think very realistically, this is referring to Jesus. But Adam and Eve would not have known Jesus when they heard this. All as Adam and Eve would have known is hope. Hope. In the midst of darkness, there is hope. Because God is for us. Because I'm created in his image and he will not let us go. There is hope. Some of you came here this morning. I think this is the message God has for you. You're sitting in darkness right now. It looks like the curtain has set on your life and you feel like it's over. Hear God's words this morning. There is hope. And the hope is, here's the hope. He says, listen, there is someone that's going to be birthed. There's going to be an offspring of Eve. Somewhere down the line, this is going to happen. I'm going to speak hope and life because I'm for you. He will strike your head, the serpent. He's talking to the serpent. Now a head wound is a fatal wound. Now, yes, the serpent will strike his heel. Now, I'm here to tell you, I had my Achilles torn, and it's still not healed. And I'm told by the doctors, I will never completely heal. And I'll tell you what, though, I can live life and an abundant life with a, with a bum heel. Okay, you can live an abundant life with a bum heel. So a heel wound, ah, that's painful. It's not a lot of fun. It hurts. It can alter life. But a head wound, man, that's the end of life. There's hope spoken in the midst of this. Now, some of you go, but Adam... <laughs> The story continues. Oh, it does. In fact, you go one chapter and you have a brother killing a brother. You go another couple chapters and you have this strange, I mean, this is like mythical comic book stuff, right? I mean, I think this is where we get some of our Greek mythology and, and Roman gods and, and, and Batman and Superman and all this other stuff. I think it comes from Genesis. It says the sons of God were coming down and sleeping with the daughters of man. And they're having these crazy babies that are like these mythical creatures, now, I don't know what this is. There's like one or two verses given to it. It doesn't give a lot of explanation, but it's an evil, messed up world. Then you have these gigantic creatures being born. And it's like, what is this? And God says he's grieved that he ever made man. Some of you know that story. But again, do not miss, he is for you. We are created in his image and he will not wipe us out. But what he does do, he starts afresh. Genesis chapter six, again, capture the picture. Look, I'm about to cover the whole earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. 
So I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah. So enter the boat and your wife and your sons and their wives. So here we have Adam and Eve. We have two people, a marriage that forms. I'm for you. I have hope. Things get dark. So God says, okay, let's start afresh because I'm for people. I want to restore this relationship. So he starts with a family now. Now, some of you know how this story goes, right? I mean, they barely get off the boat and you've got a, you've got a whole mess going on between Noah and his daughters. I mean, it's like, what in the world is this? So it doesn't take long. So then God steps forward and says, okay, let's move from a family to a nation because I have a plan. Captures what I'm trying to help us see is I have a plan. We're creating the image of God. He is for us. He will move in our direction. I have a plan. And it's in the person of Abram. And he comes to this guy named Abram and says, hey, listen, Abram, I know you don't know me. I'm the creator of the universe. I want you to leave your family and follow me and go to a place that I will show you so you can rise up and form a nation. And here's what he says in Genesis chapter 12. I will make you into a great nation. Now look at the purpose of this nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you'll be a blessing to who? Your fame isn't about you, Abram, who ultimately become Abraham. I am calling you out to form a nation. So you can bless others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So the Jewish people are born. Their nation takes root right here. And I'm here to say that their nation didn't take root for themselves. It took root to bless all people because God is for you. You're created in his image. He has a plan. And he will work his plan So it brings redemption and brings salvation, brings you home. Now, some of you go, but Adam, we know how the story goes. Oh yeah, the story. Matter of fact, in that very same chapter, Abraham, Abram goes off to Egypt and gives his wife over to Pharaoh out of fear of his own life and says, here, you go. Yeah, she's really my sister. It's a mess. And you continue the story, it's a mess. And there's this guy named Moses that comes along. And then the law is established. And then that still's a mess. So then they have David and this king. And so, okay, so we've moved from the individual marriage to the family of Noah, to the nation of Abraham, to now we have the law. Now we have David and the kings. And all this keeps going bad. Well, this nation, this nation that God says I've raised up continues to go bad and they end up in exile. Another country comes in and wipes them out and takes their young, healthy Men and women back with them into their land as, as slaves and kind of refugees. And that's when we get these famous, famous words. In fact, many of you have heard this verse. Even if you're unchurched, you've probably heard this verse. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for what? To give you a, and a, do you believe that? You say, well, Adam, this is just spoken to one group of people. It's spoken in a very specific time, in a very specific context. But do not miss this. God is a good God. He's been working his plan all along. He's been moving along, doing everything. And people will blow it and mess it up. And he'll keep, okay, now let's step here and let's do this because I'm for you. I'm moving in your direction. I have a good plan. It's a plan to prosper you. It's a plan to give you hope. It's not a plan of disaster. Now, some of you step back and say, but Adam, Adam, 70 years? 70 years? And what do you think about this? Some of the people who would be hearing this, maybe in their 50s, and they're doing the math, 70 years, I'm dead. It's over. 
I'm left in exile. How's that a good plan, God? How is that to give me hope and a future? Here's what I want you to hear this morning. God's plan is not a selfish plan all about you. He is for you, yes, but he is ultimately for himself and his glory and his majesty. God is a generational God is how I've come to know God. God is a generational God. So yes, you may die in Babylon. (laughs) The curtain may set, but the decisions that you make today to proclaim God's goodness, your children are listening. So make a choice today that ultimately may impact your grandkids tomorrow. You and your kids may never get out of Babylon. You may, the curtain may set, but your grandkids might. They may see this plan come to fruition and the decisions that you make today will ultimately impact them tomorrow. God is a good God. He has a plan. It's to redeem all people, to bring them to himself because we're created in his image and he wants that relationship with us because he knows in it, we will find life. Now, something really cool comes out of this. God, I think at this point, steps in and says, man, I've got to do something. We've had Adam and Eve gone bad. We've had Noah and a family gone bad. We've had Abraham gone bad. We had Moses and the law went bad. We had David, the king, went bad. And all the rest, it keeps going bad. So here this nation is off in exile, and God's plan continues to move. There's a guy named Ezekiel who was a priest among the captives in Babylon. Some of you know there's a, chat, a book in our Bible called Ezekiel because he becomes a prophet that lives in the same time Jeremiah is preaching. And here's what Ezekiel says. Again, it's God's plan. Now, this is where we come into the picture. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. Pause right there. So this is the heart. This is where men go wrong, men and women. God says, I've created you in my image. I've created you to connect with me. But what we have this tendency to do is say, well, you know what? I want him. I'd rather have that marriage or that relationship. I'd rather have that job and that fame and that career, that money. I'd rather have those things. God says, no, 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 find life in me. So I'm going to come, and I'm going to wash you of all that. I'm going to clean you. Because you can't do it yourself. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So he says, you can't do this yourself, so I'm going to come and do it for you. This is the promise of the coming Holy Spirit, which we sang about this morning. Which we read the verse, if you were kind of paying attention, Acts 1.8, that's when the Holy Spirit finally comes. That's the answer to this promise. Because God has a plan. He's a good God. He's for you. He wants to redeem all people to himself. Now this comes true through the person of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10. Now capture the heart of this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go in to the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. You see this? See the heart? Genesis 1, 27, created in the image of God, designed to walk with God in intimate connection. Sin broke that apart. And forever on, we could not enter into that holy place because we are sinful people. But Jesus comes and he gives us hope and he gives us life and he ushers us into the presence of God to restore that relationship with us. And so God can look at me and say, welcome home, son and daughter. You are my child. It comes through Jesus. 
And then it goes on, and here you capture the passage. This is almost, it's like I hear the writer of Hebrews quoting, reaching back into the Older Testament, bringing out the words of Ezekiel. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Praise God. And Genesis 1.27 is being restored inside of us. That image that has been marred by sin is being put back together and made new so that I can enter into the presence of my creator. And it's life. He's a good God. He's for you. Here's the reality. When you start talking about God's will and God's plan for your life, the one thing I want you to remember, God has a good plan for your life, and it starts with Jesus. God is for you, and his name is Jesus. What I'd like you to do is want to wrap this message up by reading a passage, a powerful passage. If you turn with me, I'd like everyone to see this one. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one in should be in every row there in front of you. Simply reach out and grab that. I'd also say if you don't have a Bible, take that one home. It's our gift from us to you. Uh, take it home and use it and read it. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's in what we call the New Testament, the newer parts of our Bible, kind of the parts that come after Jesus, page 944. Now, these are well-known verses. These are verses that talk about God's will, even. These are verses that are quoted. If I would, before you even look down there, if I'd ask some of you to tell me what these verses say, most of you will say, yeah, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, Some of you who've grown up in a church know this, but what I have discovered, what I have kind of had pressed in upon my heart is we miss the very first phrase of Romans chapter 12, one. We immediately think, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, be transformed in your thinking, uh, then you will know God's will. We think this and we miss the very first phrase. Look what it says, Romans chapter 12, verse one. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Don't miss this. Some of your translations say, in view of God's mercy. So in other words, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on the mercy that he has for you. And in view of that, in view of what he has done, in response to that, in, in, because you're so overwhelmed, because you realize how much you have been loved, you in turn are going to do something. So keep your eyes trained on what Jesus has done for you. Again, I'd say it this way. God has a good plan for your life, and it starts with Jesus. Keep your eyes in view of his mercies. In view of his mercies, in response to what he has done, and look what the rest of the verse says. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, referring to you and your body. This is truly the way to worship him. Sure, we sing and we call what we do here worship, but you want real worship? Worship isn't just a song. It isn't even coming painting rooms in our church or giving of your money. Real worship is offering your body in service to your living God who has done so much for you. So he says, offer it in real worship. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. So you're going to live different. You're going to live set apart. You aren't going to conform to all the world around you. But let God transform you into a new person. What hope is in this by changing the way you think? Now, this transforming, some of you know this. Some of you may have been around the Bible enough to know that this is the word where we get our word kind of metamorphosis. It's kind of the Latin and the Greek, and it's this picture of a caterpillar. This I hate caterpillars, just for what it's worth. Uh, I like the fuzzy ones, the woolly bear guys. They're kind of cute. But these things, these green, yellow things, they're kind of just nasty, cre- creepy, crawly things. But what happens to this ugly caterpillar? You guys know the story. 
they form and they spin the cocoon, the chrysalis. And it looks like death. It looks like destruction. Life is over. But what happens as time marches on? Pushing out of that chrysalis, out of that cocoon, comes the wings of this graceful, delicate, beautiful creation called a monarch butterfly. Transformation. A caterpillar to a butterfly? I think it's one of the greatest creative acts God put in front of us to remind us of he wants from every one of us that he can offer to you. How does it start? Remember, remember how the verse started? In view of God's mercies, or as the New Living says it, in response to all that he has done for you, his sprinkling, his giving you the spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've been given his spirit, you've been washed, you've been carried into the presence of God. In view of that, now you get to do something. Not I have to, and it's like I get to. And I love the way this changed. So change your thinking. Then you will learn to know God's will. There it is. You want to know God's will? Here it is. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2 lays it out. Then you will know God's will. You'll know it. Then the verse continues. You will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because he's for you. He has a plan for you. Now, here's how I want to wrap up. Again, as I said it this way, God has a plan for your life and it starts with Jesus. He wants to transform, you know, here's how this transformation process happens. I think sometimes Christians walk around and they, they misrepresent this. We talk like the transformation is going to happen like that. Boom, overnight. And God can work that way. I do, I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen alcoholics embrace Jesus and man, they never had a desire to drink again a day in their life. And it's like, praise Jesus, that is awesome. But that's not the standard way that the scripture teaches that God works. God doesn't give us the Holy Spirit and immediately start working in all our bad habits. He gives us the Holy Spirit according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the end of the chapter, into chapter 4. If you want to maybe write that down and read it this week. 2 Corinthians chapter, into chapter 4, he says he does this to reveal to us. He, in ever increasing, it says, with this consistent, constant movement, he reveals to us Jesus. He fixes our attention. He fixes our mind on Jesus. And what we fix our attention on, we soon become like. And it's a process. It's something that happens over time. It's not something where God just reaches in and lifts us right out of it. Because why I believe he doesn't do this is because oftentimes we'll just return right to it. He wants us to walk through it. Walk through the dark valley and see the hope and the promise on the far end. And when we get through, we look back and we say, man, with God's help, I came through that. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So here's how this works. As you look at uh, Romans chapter 12, change your thinking. How does this work? Well, again, it starts with Jesus. Some of you sitting here this morning, you sit here and your mind is you tell yourself all kinds of stuff. We do that, right? No one talks to you more than you talk to yourself. Would you believe that? It's probably true. Some of you probably a little too much and we should have you evaluated, but most of us talk to ourselves. And what I've learned, what we tell ourselves isn't always really good, is it? I think there's no more greater negative voice in your life than your own voice. That's what I've learned. And what we begin to tell ourselves is I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. Think Jesus. Change your thinking. Claim the truths of scripture. When you are in Jesus, you are fully accepted. And in Jesus, you are completely worthy. And God looks down as Romans 8, 1 says, it says, there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He loves you. Romans 8 continues, says, I've given you a spirit of adoption. I've brought you into my family and nothing will separate us. 
So stop telling yourself you're unworthy. And whatever other story, train of thinking where that runs, get off the train and think Jesus. Some of you sit and think, well, I'm alone. And some of you are alone. And it hurts. And you wall around your pity party. I'm so alone. Life is so hard. No one gets me. No one understands me. My life is so unique. And we begin to think that. And again, God would say, no, think Jesus. It says that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. So you're not facing anything that the person beside you may not have or likely to face. And then it says in the scriptures that he says, listen, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But what do we do? I'm so alone. What was me? Throw a little pity party for myself and sit down there. Failure. This is a big one for me. Oh, this is a big one. I've grown up most of my life fearing failure. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about mistakes and risking and stepping out. I've kind of lived with this motto of failure is not an option because failure then defines me as a failure. And I've learned, you know what? Failure is an event, not a person. And when I sit down in those places of failure and allow that train to run and I am such a failure and I tell myself that God's message is Adam, it starts in Jesus. Think Jesus in view of his mercies. Adam, train your thinking to see Jesus and understand that you are adequate in me. Trust me. Walk with me. Some of you, it's hopeless. I'd say you have all the hope that you need in Jesus. Some of you say, well, I'm not good enough. Well, you know what? In Christ, you're made perfect. You say, me? Yes, you. When you believe in Jesus, God looks down and he sees Jesus and he says, perfect. You say, well, you realize what the junk I got in my life? Yeah, in view of his mercies now, step forward. Think Jesus. Some of you worry, you don't have enough. Can't pay my bills. I'm not enough. I can't provide. You lack nothing in God's sustaining grace. Matthew chapter six, God says, listen, look at the birds and the flowers of the field. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. They have no lack of anything. God looks down and says, you know what? Remember, coming back to Genesis 127, I've created you in my image. Those birds aren't in my image. I care far more for you than I do that bird that I make sure that bird is cared for day in and day out. Claim those promises. Thank Jesus. Run with him. Some of you say, well, I'm afraid. Boy, this is a big one. For me, fear has gripped much of my life, and so many of my decisions have been made as a result of fear. Either self-protection or avoidance. I'm afraid. Romans 8. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear In God's love. God's love drives out fear. His perfect love in Jesus. Again, Romans 12, 1. In view of his mercies. In view. Keep them in view. In response to what he has done, step forward. Transform your thinking. It starts with Jesus. Some you say, well, I'm not smart. You know what? We just finished a whole series on wisdom. God gives it to you. He offers it. Some of you say, well, Adam, I'm in bondage. I'm never going to change. I've tried. You don't get my family, my family of origin, my past, how I'm wired. You've bought a lie. Flip back just a few pages in Romans and it says, listen, when you are in Jesus, you are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. You are set free. 
He makes all things new. He is for you. He has a plan for you. He will continue to move in your direction, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ. In view of his mercies, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. What a powerful truth. God has a plan for you. Here's the cool thing then when you read this verse, Romans 12, 2, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. The cool thing is God's will is not that mysterious when we walk this way. When we respond to his mercies and we step out towards them in view of his mercies and we continue to work Jesus into our thinking and challenge that stuff that's in there, God's will just starts to become very natural. In fact, what I find is my will is soon becoming his will. And I don't even realize it's happening. So again, we're going to work through this, this series. It's going to be a fun series. I think it's going to be a challenging series, but it starts with Jesus. If you want to know God's will for your life, it starts with Jesus. So I'm going to close in prayer. And Chris is going to come to the stage and intro communion, which is going to push us to think about Jesus. But I want to just challenge you. Where are you with Jesus? Who is he to you? Is he just a good moral teacher, a good example to follow? Is he, is he this guy that, yeah, I know he's out there. I kind of believe he's there. Is he someone who you've believed in Sunday school and you know all the truth and the facts about him? Or, or has he stepped forward and touched your heart with his mercies? Have you ever come to the point where you said, God, I repent, I turn, I trust, I put everything I have into Jesus. So I want to pray that you're in that place. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the message even we had this morning. Thank you for how you've been working throughout all of human history to bring us to you. I love that passage in Hebrews. It's kind of that picture of restoring fully. Genesis 1:27. We get to step into the throne room. God, I believe right now because I'm in Jesus and I claim his washing and his, the rebirth that he's given me, God, I can step in and I am there with you. I'm with you. I'm in your presence. I'm walking with you. God, every person in this room can experience that. God, I pray that they are and or that they will. It starts with Jesus. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Noah couldn't do it. Abraham couldn't do it. The Jews couldn't do it. The law couldn't do it. King David couldn't do it. So God, you step forward because you're for us. And you offered us your son. And God, just as we close this service out, God, would you, my prayer right now is that you would just make him so real to us. And if anyone here is uncertain of their relationship, God, I pray that this morning they would just simply step out and say, you know what, I'm a sinner. I need God's mercies. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. And would they leave here this morning with joy and hope in their heart, knowing that they're your child and they can walk into your presence which we've been created to do. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.